Welcome to the Filipino American Women Project, a podcast show that shares stories and life lessons told by individuals living or have lived in America that are of Filipino descent and identify as female. I'm your host, Jen Amos, a fellow Filipino American woman, and I'm excited for you to join us. Let's get started. All right. Hello, everyone. Jen Amos here, your producer and host for the Filipino American Women Project podcast show. And as always, I have my co-host with me, Nani Dominguez. Nani, welcome back to the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. And we are excited because we get to interview cultural bearer, liberation educator and creator, JL Umipig. JL, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you doing? (laughs) Uh, fantastic in this fine Saturday morning. I'll have to be honest with all of you though. Like I slept at, oh man, I slept like at five o'clock last night in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) I, I was, uh, I was in the super creative mode and I, I felt like it was still daytime. And so I was just working for hours and then I was like, oh crap, it's five and I have to wake up in like five hours. (laughs) So, so I was, so that's part of why I was checking in with you, Nani. I was like, are you okay? Cause I'm not okay. (laughs) (laughs) You got three hours on me. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. You would think, you would think, um, but anyway, no, I am here and both of you are my caffeine for this morning. So I, I feel, I actually feel wide awake again. And I'm just really yeah. excited to, really excited to dive into this interview. Uh, well, JL, uh, before we really get started with talking about you, why don't you share how you heard about the project? And more importantly, why did you choose to be on the show with us today? Okay, so I actually heard about the show from being a part of a movement called Raise Pinay that is in relation to an organization in the Philippines called Roots of Health that works on reproductive health services and rights for Filipino women, particularly in Palawan. And your sister <laughs> was one of the producers, the main producer for this generation, because we've been doing it for three generations. And every single year, a new producer is added on who basically takes the reins of learning how to be in curation of the work that we do with Race Pinai that's been going on since 2015. So Josephine was a part of that. And then she had mentioned to me that you were looking to interview some of the women from Race Pinai and actually told me that we were going to get interviewed possibly during the showtime, like during our reception or something like that. But I actually had no time to do that. So it was nice when we reconnected, you know? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And uh, actually, I'm glad that you said that because that day was kind of like, I kind of had it up to here with my mom on that day. Unfortunately, we were on this, we were on this road trip for like an entire week together. And it was the first time in years that I had spent so much time with my mom. And when mm. like, don't get me wrong, like the Ray's Panay experience for me was like amazing and empowering and inspiring. And I cried and it was just, it was just great overall. But my mom, 
she was uh, the, the entire time, you know, the way that she processes and captures her experience is, is a little different than mine. Like I'm, I, I kind of process things like emotionally, but she likes to document everything through pictures and video <laughs> recording. And, you know, when you're watching, when you're watching Raise Panay, it's like, you want to be really present there. At least that's how I felt. And, and so I was kind of like, you know, we went on this whole road trip of taking, my mom already taking a million pictures. And then the time where she, I felt like she should have had her phone down and really be present with our sister or with my sister like she was doing the same thing as well and so at the end of the production my sister was like okay so the girls are you know I'm happy to bring them out and and have them inter and you can interview them and I just said to her like honestly I'm I'm not in the right headspace right now like I want to be mm. able to like interview them when when I feel when I'm not like angry or have like mixed emotions like I had mixed yeah, emotions yeah. overall like I was like I was already crying I was laughing it was I had all these emotions and then I was mad at my mom <laughs> so, yeah. so I'm glad that you were so busy that you didn't even notice <laughs> because I I told myself like I, and I even even after I left I almost I regretted it I was like man I wish that I I still did it anyway but you know, thanks to thanks to the help with Nani uh, helping me with outreach, like it happened anyway. So now here we can we have like each other's undivided attention to really uh, feature your story. And I'm glad that it took till this point. Like I'm glad that I, I think it would have been very haphazard if we did it then and there. And right. So you know, I'm glad things work out for a reason. Everything works out for a reason. Always. Always. <laughs> yeah. So awesome. Well, I want to, I, I thank you for, you know, having thought of me that day and wanting to do it. And mm -hmm. anyway, here we are. So yay. <laughs> so the Filipino American Woman Project, when people ask us who we identify as Filipino American women, because it's, it's interpreted in so many different ways, depending on who you're talking to scholars or people who don't know much like me. <laughs> and so for the sake mm -hmm. of the show, we identify Filipino American women as individuals who live or have lived in America are of Filipino descent and identify as female. And so uh, JL, I'd love for you to share uh, why you identify as a Filipino American woman. Okay, so before I do that, I'm gonna fully introduce myself and give you all my given name from my family. My name is Jana Lynn Caldetera Pig. I'm the daughter of Rosemary Caldetera Pig and Godofredo Peralta Pig. My father from the big side comes from Ilocosur, and it's he comes from a family of farmers and uh, from the province of Santa Maria. And my mother comes from Ilocos Norte, from Pagudpud. And my mother came from folks who worked in forestry and working with like the trees. That's my lineage that I know of. My family migrated to the United States in Honolulu, Hawaii, and that's where my parents met each other. So they both were from Ilocos, but they met here in uh, Turtle Island in mm -hmm. the Kingdom of Hawaii. And so I was born and raised in Hawaii and moved to California and was lived for, in California for some time, particularly in the Yokut territory, which is also known as Stockton. And then I moved here to the Lenape territory, which is to many folks known as New York in the region of the Bronx, the home of hip hop. And that is just so that folks can understand the complexities of where I'm from and where a lot of my influences come from and the way that I shape my identity as a Filipino woman. And, and I also wanna kind of break down that as well because 
in the current, I would describe myself as a Filipinx woman mm -hmm. uh, from in the diaspora. It's really important for us to kind of frame the ways our identity has been shaped by colonization. That's a huge part of the way that I live my life and I look at the way that I contribute to life and the way that I relate to others in life is by understanding all of these really complex dynamics that have been created by colonization. So most folks in plain state would just say that I'm Filipino, uh, but some people don't want to say Filipino. They say Filipino to take away the sound of King Philip um, in Filipino. And then some folks say Pinay or Pinoy to remove that entirely. And then there are mm -hmm. other folks who name themselves from their province. So some folks might say I'm Ilocano. And then there are some people from the Philippines who don't even claim themselves as Filipino at all or say that they're from the Philippines because they're indigenous peoples whose lands they believe have never been ceded by colonization. And so they've maintained themselves um, in relation to their indigenous tribes. So one of my teachers is Ifugao, and he is Ifugao. He's not Filipino. These are the types of things that I feel like are important when we excavate these rememberings of our ancestral memory and our ancestral understanding that predates colonial shaped history and that allow us to understand ourselves. Now, being able to connect to those things and excavate that, that's like super difficult. So when I identify myself as Filipino in any of those iterations that we spoke about, Oh, and then also I wanted to add Filipinex, which comes from the Filipino community connecting to the Latinx movement in being able to reconnect to those in our community who identify as queer, who identify as transgender, who identify as uh, non-gender binary, who are in relation to their sexuality and in relation to their sexual power in a way that has fluidity and that really is in relation to the way that gender or you know gender is actually a colonial construct but the way that they relate to identity in that sentence form so I, I feel like trying to answer your question and then also framing for you that it's very difficult for me to answer that without going into this long conversation about decolonization mm -hmm. and the time that we live in and so that is the way that I identify with that part, those parts of myself is that I'm trying to like wrap it up a little bit so that I can answer your question more poignantly. But, but yeah, that's the beginning. That's the foundation for me. And the foundations are very, very complex. So. Oh, I love it. I, I love everything <laughs> you said and I wasn't rushing you in any way. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's why I, I think that's part of why I was just really excited to get you on the show because just following you on Instagram and what I know of you through the other people from Raise Panay, you have so much insight. I think I wouldn't even be surprised if the title of the Filipino American woman is offensive to some people because I'm sure mm -hmm. that I'm sure that we've already excluded some people feel excluded because we don't have the Filipino X in there or you know oh, yeah. woman like some people who are non-binary and so yeah. like and part <laughs> of why I had chose to go with this title is because when I created the project that's what I knew of myself the best like I knew that mm -hmm. I was a Filipino American woman I didn't put Filipino I didn't put Filipina because I identify first of all as an American 
um, that has Filipino descent and I identify as a female. And so the project was really in hopes to connect with other people who identify to it, even ever so closely to it, to share their story. Because like, I'm not here to stereotype anyone. Like this was really a kind of like a, an outcry to, you know, to connect with other, yeah. other Filipino American women who can give me their perspective because a lot of my upbringing, most of the women, the female in my life were very humble about like their own stories. And they were just about being providers, you know, the Maria Clara archetype that I know a lot more about nowadays <laughs> because of the show. And so, and so for me, it was really like an exploratory thing. And so I love how much you know and how much you, you teach through your work and through social media. And I'm just glad that you shared all of that. And I would have kept listening <laughs> if you had more to and, say. And, but the, the truth is, is that like we need all the different platforms. So I do, I do theater education. That's kind of like my main mode of communication is through theater, but not truly anymore. It's just my life now, just everything, every way that I speak and relate to folks is just, it's all related. But we always talk about how important it is for us to make room for everyone's stories and for everyone to have a space in whatever perspective they have and whatever means they have to be able to communicate where they are coming from. I think a lot of the times, and I and this has actually been in my heart a lot, and I've been trying my best to move with it. I actually was speaking about this to my partner this morning. Is just like, sometimes I feel like there are parts of myself that want folks to just be there with me already and like be mm -hmm. completely aligned with my viewpoints of liberation and be totally there but I have to remind myself that I've gone through my own journey to be able to get to these truths and that we can't put ourselves in a position even if we are you know we are born educators and like truth tellers and that's just like how we stand if that's how you identify yourself in any way that when we begin to feel like why aren't people just listening to what I'm saying? Why aren't people just like getting it? Mm -hmm. uh, then that's when the ego comes into play. You know, people have to come from their different walks of life to come to the same place of liberation and the same place of remembering that we belong to each other, which is a quote that comes from Mother Teresa. And mm -hmm. just like these types of truths that are really important. And in order for us to get to the real truth, we have to be able to see all the perspectives that exist that conflict with each other because everyone is walking in different truths in this existence. It's been right. shaped that way for so long. But there are some core relative truths that we all need to get back to, but we have to dismantle all of the things that colonization has shaped us around before we can get there. And that looks very different for every single person. Those layers look very, very different in texture and, and shape and structure. And so it's important for us to have some grace around making room for people to do that. And in truth, I don't always have that grace. Like sometimes I'm just like, what the hell are you talking about right now? Like this is absolutely ridiculous that you're speaking in relation to and even in protection of or in fighting for the colonizer and you don't even know it and i feel like mm. i want to like go off on people even people who are close to me in my life 
sometimes I yeah. feel like I want to just go off on them to be like, yo, that's really capitalistic right now. Please don't talk to me about that. Or I have no room for that right now. It's not connected to the liberation movements that I'm living in. I can't invest in that with my energy or my presence. So that's on my mind and in my heart currently. And then I'm also trying to kind of ground myself in some prayer around how do we hold each other with a little bit more grace? Because it's really important for us to do that in this time if we're ever going to find each other on the same walk of liberation. Yeah, I I think grace is the biggest thing that our, I think our community in general has to learn. And even just like what you said, even when you already practice grace, sometimes other people may trigger something in you where you're not, you're not going to come off as graceful. (laughs) You know, I, I think about like for myself, I'm extremely graceful and open and compassionate to um, the people that I interview on the show, but you ask me about my family and my, my relatives in particular, and it's still, it's still a tough thing for me to have grace around because of all of the things that I grew up, all the abuse and trauma that I experienced, Mm -hmm. you know, within my family. And so I, I mentioned this in a past episode, but I had to really completely remove myself from that environment and put myself in a safe space. So then I can do a project like this where I can start to work my way back to that. And who knows if I ever will be close to my relatives the way I was when I was younger, but I'm hoping that something such as this will, will at least give me a sense of peace because of topics and issues and creating awareness, uh, just like the way that you are and how there's a lot of deconstructing we have to do in our community. I just wanted to go back to the first question, being how and why you identify as a Filipino-American woman and JL's response. I, I love hearing the way that you thought through that question because I think that's how a lot of us respond or react to that question. It's like, how much time do I have? <laughs> and um, I love the the way that you brought up all the different ways that we identify between like Filipinex, Filipino American, Filipina, Pinay, Pinoy, like all the different ways that we identify because I think that's for a lot of us the first thing that comes to mind as well. And it can make it confusing even for us to answer that question about ourselves. So I just thought it was really nice to hear that your thought process kind of play out like that. Uh, so yeah all right jenny was here jumping into the middle of our show as i always do to remind you why this show is possible so you know at the end of every episode i tend to say if you didn't catch our guest contact info don't worry we'll have those in the show notes check them out i work so hard on them you're welcome well it's been brought to my attention that our show notes are not as easy to find as i thought which is why starting summer 2020 the Filipino-American Woman Project is proud to be partnering with Captivate, the world's only growth-oriented podcast host. Captivate is created for independent podcasters, designed from day one to help you to focus on audience growth and the expansion of your audio influence. One way that Captivate makes our lives easier as independent podcasters is by taking the guesswork out of making a website for your show. That's right, a website for your show. So listeners, starting summer 2020, Finding our show notes will be so much easier. All thanks to Captivate. You're welcome, as always. If you're about to start podcasting or are getting burnt out from all the extra work of producing one, like building a website, 
Consider a seven-day free trial, that's right, free, with Captivate by visiting thephilamwoman.com. That's the philam, short for Filipino-American, woman.com. Or, you know, check out our show notes in the meantime, which is in the details section of each episode. Once again, you can visit thephilamwoman.com or visit the details section of this episode. Word. Thank you. I, I feel like it's, it's a process. It's life. I, I feel like I get, and I've been unpacking this a lot lately too, because I feel like that question is also related to the question, where are you from? Because mm-hmm. I get that mm-hmm. a lot. I'm sure you all do as well. That's like a part mm-hmm. of our existence. And so yeah. when people ask me that, I'm like, do you have time? Do you have time to know where I'm from? Because right? I, I can tell exactly. you that it will take a very long time. Right. I need at least like 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what? I, I appreciate you saying that, JL. I feel like the I feel like the the other um, maybe description I, su- I should ask to this question is, and take your time, you know, <laughs> take your time explaining why you identify because, because otherwise, and maybe, maybe you could even help me and, and Nani, like, is there a better way to, how do I ask? Like, right, is there a more grateful way? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel, like, I feel like just posing it also gives the opportunity to have that conversation. Because mm-hmm. like I said, I feel like you already both are holding this whole movement that you are making with grace by inviting certain people to come and be in relation to you. I see, that's one of the things for me. I see the way that folks move. And a lot of the times what allows me to say, okay, like those folks are moving in good ways and a good way for me is when I look at their relations. And so when you're willing to invite folks into a conversation and be, you know, in some ways challenged or in some ways expanding from your viewpoints or to complicate things that you are saying, then we're on the right path. I get wary sometimes of like framing questions in a way where you try to lead folks in a certain direction. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's so much more powerful when the questions help folks to just dive into their own narrative. And, And even if they don't, that if you all make the room for that, and I think you're doing that right now. So it's really wonderful that there's room to explore together and to excavate some things together, like on the spot and not be in a position to think of like, am I saying the right answer? Am I answering this the way that I'm supposed to? Or even if you all are like, are we, are we questioning in the right way? I feel like it's more after the question is posed, are we holding it with grace? Are we giving ourselves the room to be uncomfortable? Are we giving ourselves the room to expand and grow? And I think that that's more of what we need to look at. Yeah. Well, this show has been JL approved. (laughs) (laughs) It's really great. I think it's beautiful. I can't, I mean, like I listened to Nini's interview and it's so wonderful that Nini was able to have that space as well. A lot of the women from Race Pinai really you know, when they came in and sat with us and were in circle with us, there was a lot of belief in self that that your voice didn't really matter, mm. that your story didn't matter. That thing, I don't know if you were there when Josephine had spoken about like her connection to imposter syndrome, like who am I to take up space? Like who am I to take up room for me to speak what I have to speak? And that's all mm. a part of 
colonial mentality and trying to stop us from from speaking unless we are on a platform that's created by the colonizer and they've approved it. It's one thing if our community and the people that we see ourselves in are in approval, in a sense, right, of what we are moving with and that they're supporting us and saying, like, we're doing good work together versus, like, folks looking for celebrity or looking for platforms to to say like, oh yeah, you know, like I'm being approved by society that what I'm saying and that my story counts and matters, or that I'm going to be the voice and representation of all these folks, which I feel like is another part of unpacking identity in this existence. But like, unless you have a platform, then you you don't have a voice. And I've been examining that a lot lately as well, especially because even like in in connection, right, we were talking a little earlier about like the amount of followers that I have on Instagram. I want to be really clear to folks that like, I'm not, I'm not trying to gain followers like that. Every single person who has connected with me on social media in any way, it has been through relation, you know, like just seeing ourselves in each other. It's not because like I've made the agenda of like, I'm gonna like have mad followers because it's like what I have to say is most important. I know that this is a space of communication, like social media is a space of communication. And I have things to say about stuff. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And folks, and then folks end up having these really great conversations with me. And I get DMs all the time and make relationships with folks consistently and I love it when folks are from New York and then we can actually meet each other in person or if folks visit New York and they're like hey are you holding anything is there any way that we can meet up and if I have the time and space to like I love doing that and I feel like a lot of folks nowadays are using social media as a space of creating some celebrity you know Mm -hmm. branding themselves and it's very disturbing because it's very colonistic and I am doing my best to hold that and be also challenging that very much so you know like what's your agenda what so I've been thinking about that as well yeah I think social media is like money everyone has a different take on money and what it can do for them it's at the end of the day it's really a tool and of course though there's other ways to get things that don't require money but point is that social media is also a tool in the same way yeah. where and and it really just depends on what you see everyone interprets it differently you know some people want to become a social media influencer and like sell their mm-hmm. celebrity and sell the clothes that they're wearing and these photo shoots that they do but what i love about uh, your feed it's how intentional you are with what you're posting And I can, you know, I can tell that it's not like you're just posting the post, like you were really, you're really introspective and very descriptive. And it just so happens that it it resonates with so many people. And I think that's a beautiful thing when, when you are getting recognition for something that you weren't doing it for the recognition, you were doing it to really be, to really like learn about yourself. And you just so happen to put it out there for other people to benefit from. I think what you're doing is really beautiful. And before I even, before I even found you on Instagram, I already thought that I already had this sense from you that you were very impactful to so many people and, and you have this kind of aura that draws people to you. So, (laughs) so, Um, you know, yeah. 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 You know why I do it? The truth is because 
I do it for a community. Like I do it mm-hmm. for the community of it all. Mm-hmm. I do it for the solidarity of it all. It makes you feel like you're not alone in some ways. It's mm-hmm. very difficult sometimes when you have these types of ideas and thoughts and then you're surrounded by, especially in New York, you're surrounded by so many folks who are just walking in complacency and even in investment of oppressive structures for you to not feel like you're by yourself sometimes. But more and more, because of these types of ways of connection, like social media, we find each other. We find each other so easily. And I think this is one of the thoughts that I've been sharing more often that I feel like is kind of disturbing for some folks or that makes folks a little uncomfortable in some senses. But I've been thinking about how colonization had to happen for us to be in this type of connection globally in this way Mm when we're in relation. So just as much as colonization has created so much destruction and genocide and all the different things that are very, very terrifying to think about in relation to human existence and the way that we relate to Mother Earth, it also has allowed us to connect with each other in a way that our pre-colonial ancestors weren't able to, where we can sit in circle with each other from different land origins of ancestry and talk about the intersections and the uh, similarities and the commonalities and the connection, the interconnectedness that really exists between us all and that has always existed between us all that returns us really back to the earth and back to the land and back to the waters and our duty to really protect that together and protect life together. And so my posting and my conversations online really have to do with that, is that Mm -hmm. I want to be in solidarity with folks and I want us to like be working toward the dismantling. I talk to my partner about this quite often, but our belief in our household is that decolonization is actually a time, like a time in in the timeline of history mm. that we can think about the pre-colonial and then we think about the colonial and we think about neo-colonial times. We can also think about this time as a decolonial time. And that meaning that this is a time when we're in this intersection of us understanding we live in a colonized world And at the same time, we know that colonization's really messed up and that it's doing things, uh, and it has been doing things to divide us from each other and that destroys the life and the world that, that is meant for us to live and exist in. That we're become, that we're simultaneously contributing to the destruction of our land, but also figuring out and our, our lives and figuring out ways to dismantle that so that we can still exist and survive and also create something different and better that won't be destructive anymore. So it's really like difficult because I feel like a lot of it is built off of reaction as opposed to us being really grounded in our relation to what our duties are in being in this existence. And so I think about all the things that are happening in the world and in the United States and Turtle Island right now thinking about the Amazon and thinking about what that means. And so many people are reacting right now when Mm -hmm. in truth, what we needed to be doing for a long time is being in relation to the way that we are connecting to corporations that seek to deforest and seek to build and extract from the earth in order to build up, you know, a colonized capitalistic existence. And 
and an existence that is built on human supremacy. And I feel like that's like super important for us to really take a look at as well as like, we are doing all these things simultaneously, but how far are you willing to go with that? I believe in dismantling almost everything, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I know that that's not possible <laughs> like right now. I know that's not possible right now. But somewhere inside my heart, I believe that the future generations are going to figure it out if we can if we can begin where we are right now and save this earth. And that feels so cliché or or feels like something that we've heard since elementary school, but we didn't understand it until now that like things are really fucked up. Sorry for my language. I don't know if this is okay for me. To... It's it's ex- <laughs> it's explicit. You're fine. Okay. <laughs> Do you, girl? But I just feel like sometimes, and I tell my students this all the time with you know, I'm like, like it's okay for us to curse. I'm like, as long as it's purposeful and really <laughs> that there's something behind it, I am okay with yeah. you. I'm not gonna censor you, you know, because sometimes we have That's to like rule. throw an f bomb because it's just that dire for us to communicate something um but yeah so that's how I feel sometimes is like how far are we willing to dismantle our lives how much of our existence are we really willing to give up to be honest and it doesn't have to happen immediately because obviously we have to survive and we have to like live in this existence still but eventually let's let's hope that the future generations are going to have something better I feel so devastated by what we're where what our young people are inheriting from us mm. like I feel the pain of what we've inherited from our parents like kind of like not just in terms of like the the earth itself and how the condition that they're handing it off to us but also the condition of our spirit like the spirit world and, and our connection to it right like how you are saying the relationship with your parents and your mom and all of that like that's really important for us to take a look at as well and for us to understand what are the young people inheriting of our traumas Mm -hmm. and how do we set them up in a way for them to understand that we actually see our traumas now in this decolonial time in a colonial like a in a colonial time or a neo-colonial time that our parents may have lived they weren't even able to see that their trauma because they didn't have the tools in order to really examine that and hold that in a good way but because we are in a decolonial existence right now we have so many ways of dealing with our mental and spiritual health that our parents would never have been able to imagine. I hope that I hope that folks don't think that when I say like colonization is was supposed to happen <laughs> that that I'm like okay with like genocide and war and the destruction of the planet. Like that's not what I mean. I just think that because it's that all that happened and we have all this connection that there's an opportunity. Like I'm, I have a feeling and I was talking to someone about this the other day that social media is about to like, my posts have been getting erased so much y'all. Like, mm-hmm. and not the pictures, but the text, right? Cause sometimes I just put a picture up just so that folks will actually look at the text. Mm-hmm. Um, but like my text has been getting erased from social media so <sighs> much. And then I have to repost, repost, repost. And sometimes I haven't been able to keep a post up because of that. And so I've just been, I've been figuring out how to like gather all of my writing from all these years into a, into like a document that's hard copy for myself. So I can give it to my children later 
because like I I it's coming. They're starting to understand that colonization is starting to understand <laughs> in their fight <laughs> that we're using like all of these things that we've created. Not just colonization has created, but we as human beings as creators have created and we're using it for our liberation right now. But they're mm-hmm. still in control of it, right? right. Like social media is controlled by like Let's talk about it. <laughs> like, it's controlled yeah. by corporations and by like folks who are colonistic minded and tied to capitalism in the worst ways. And like eventually, they're not gonna let me post my shit about decolonization. They're not gonna allow me to show photographs of what's going on. I have so many friends whose stuff is getting censored just because they're talking the truth about like indigenous people and about land destruction it's crazy like folks are writing about land destruction and then their posts get removed entirely mm-hmm. it's why they're on to you jl <laughs> i know uh, to really? all of us who knows like you're even podcasts like, yeah. when will they start like censoring podcasts it's just oh man one thing that I, I feel fortunate about is the platform that we're using, Anchor, is intended to be a great equalizer for people who may not have the economic uh, resources to like fund their own show and stuff and have mm-hmm. the resources. And so I like to believe this platform is in support of our show. So thank you, Anchor. I, I also wanted to add it's good for folks to know about that. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, yeah. If you look into more anchor, I mentioned in almost every episode. So I won't I won't mention it again. I won't do another plug right now. But I mean I already did, but anyway. So so one thing I, I think that's really interesting that you brought up, JL, because I remember there was a time, it was a couple of years ago, where someone it like blew up on the internet, but a, a woman was portraying art or what is it? She had a picture of a girl, I think it was herself. And she was turned over in bed, but on the bed, you can see that there was a blood leak, you know, cause she, she started having her period and she mm-hmm. posted this on, so on, on Instagram and Instagram deleted it and she tried posting it again and they deleted it mm-hmm. and she kept posting mm-hmm. it again and they kept, and then eventually I think her account was um, removed and it just, it just blew up on, on the internet about like, wow, like this is just awful, like how misogynistic they are and yada, yada, yada. But it's so crazy to hear that you're experiencing it, you know, firsthand. And even though the plot, these platforms we're using are free, it does come at a cost. It's not really free. You know, we, we're getting our stuff monitored, whether we we like it or not. And there's some things like all the examples that you mentioned that they're a brand as well, and they want to be a profitable brand. And in their mind, they feel like, you know, some things that you may be posting may be hurting their brand, unfortunately. And so Mm -hmm. it's awesome that you're finding a way to document it. I mean, thank God for like Instagram archives now, because that's, that saved me a lot. (laughs) I I recently like deleted a thousand photos in my, uh, my personal Instagram account, like over a thousand, because I was like, I just moved to the East coast and I was like, I don't want my new friends to see all these pictures of my past. Um, but, but Instagram archive, like really helped me with that one (laughs) because I didn't really delete it. You know, it's, it's all like saved somewhere now. So I have like a special place for my, my past life, I guess you can say. I can completely understand the difference of what we were talking about originally, how social media is being used more as like a currency now. I have two Instagram accounts. I have my personal Instagram, which I essentially haven't touched since I started doing all of this work on my blog Instagram because the vibe is just so completely like 180 from each other. 
when I'm on my personal Instagram, it's people advertising what they're wearing or what they're mm. doing and just essentially highlights from their life that are probably photoshopped and whatever else. And being on that account, just scrolling through my feed, like noticing the way I feel, it's almost instant. Like it makes me feel bad. And then I switch over to my blog Instagram and it's this whole community. I, I really like what you said, uh, JL, about how you are using social media to create a community. And I think that's also what we're doing here with this podcast. Mm. And I love that we're able to connect that way because if it wasn't for this double-edged Instagram sword, you wouldn't be able to connect with each other this way and mm. keep in touch with each other this way. And I wouldn't be able to learn about myself from accounts like yours that actually do post relevant content and things that actually speak to me. We need more of that. And I think more of us need to look at it the way that you do as an intention to create community and actually interact with the people that are reaching out to you and try to meet up with them in person. So yeah, I, I love that. And I think that what we're doing here is just a part of the evolvement of our entire culture and our, our people essentially like you touched on earlier, we're just now starting to be able to identify and kind of speak out about internally our internal battles and what we struggle with. So hopefully, I think that what our kind of duty is here is to just push out as much content and as much information as we can with hopes that it doesn't get flagged or removed or restricted. And for the generations that come after us, they will hopefully be able to take all of this and really catapult it into a whole movement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Speaking of platforms, JL, you mentioned uh, earlier about how there are certain platforms that really restrict us. And I love how in my own experience, like a lot so far, a lot of people in the Filipino community have just created their own platforms that are like, oh, like F that, like forget like what other people are doing. Like I'm not going to live for their approval anymore and try to get through their outlet or their platform. I'm just going to create my own. And so one thing that we have mentioned multiple times throughout uh, these episodes is that a lot of people in the Filipino community or at least Filipino American community are getting a lot of their education of being a Filipino American through social media, specifically on Instagram. And that's actually how Nani and I had met is through Instagram. And a lot of the people that we have connected with and interviewed is because of Instagram. And so I love that we figured it out anyway. You know, like there's this quote that had stuck with me when I felt like I was just a complete reject for a, a very long time in my life. But the quote said something like, every time I'm being rejected by something, I'm actually getting redirected to something better. And mm -hmm. I felt like that's been my life, you know, and I, and I think that's what this project is, is because in all the places where I did want to be myself and be curious and learn more, led me to a place where I could finally really do that. And, you know, just like what Nani said, we're, we're going to do this until something happens, you know, maybe if we get flagged, maybe whatever, but until then the show goes on <laughs> and hopefully right. this will, you know, ripple to our listeners and, their, and our listeners can tell other people and we could really just deconstruct this whole thing that's going on right now. And the way that I also see it is we are in, in a generation of decolonization. Uh, I feel like we're also in a generation of, of celebration. 
we're, we're at a place now where there's a lot of body acceptance and like acceptance of your sexuality and acceptance of, you know, who you are. And, and I think that's why there's so much more people in, in our community that are just putting themselves out there and sharing their story and being so raw and open, because I think we've got into a place where it's safe enough to do it now so that we could really start deconstructing all of this and find healing and focus on how can we create a better future for generations to come. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Word. <Yeah. laughs> and I, before I, I did want to ask, I was really interested in the tarot cards that you post on your Instagram. Yeah, my goodness. The tarot cards, again, like a communally driven project that wasn't even a project at first. So, and this is like, I know that we only have a little bit of time together, but a huge part of my life is the spiritual path that I'm walking, that I live. And since I was a child, I've been very, very connected to spirit. And I say spirit in a very like generalized, loose term because there's so much complexity to that. If we can talk about the complexities of our earthly world, then we can also talk about the complexities of the spiritual world and the many ways that we enter and are in relation to it. And so uh, reading cards was one of my first ways of being able to connect. When you're in the diaspora and you are starting to understand your spiritual relations and you're dismantling your uh, relationships with colonial religion and your understanding what the indigenous beliefs and practices were pre-colonial or even during colonization and the people in your family that maintained some of those things and kept that in your life when you're doing all those things in the diaspora and in my case in the United States you start to draw yourself to what is available to you from communities that have been able to maintain their relationship with practices and tools from where they're from. So tarot cards are from France and we're used in Italy and that's where it comes from. So tarot is not Filipino at all. Right. But there are a lot of Filipinos who do read cards uh, because that, that tool is available to them. and. In truth, you can read with almost anything, right? There, I've been in communities that read with shells and others that read with tea and that some read with egg yolk and all of these different things. And Yeah, and so the tarot cards were because I was reading cards a lot, but it wasn't a job. Like, I wasn't out here, like, reading cards for people. As a job, I was reading cards for friends because they knew that I read cards for myself. And I would read for them. And we would have these really beautiful, impactful, relational moments of me seeing them in a different light and them being in vulnerability to really step into sharing that part of their spirit that I was seeing interactions with cards. And I had a really good friend, her name is Mimi, who was like, one day was like, why don't you just make your own deck? And I told her, yeah. Mimi, I don't have, when, when would I ever have time to even do that? This was like three or four years ago now. And I w- at that point, I was drawing every single day because drawing is one of my mediums of also of channeling and of connecting to the knowledge inside of my mind because some things just you don't have words for, but you can visualize it. And so she's like, you draw every day. And I was like, I know I do, but 
this is like a different feat. And she was like, if you just draw one card a day and make it a part of like your ritual, then you'd be able to do it, JL. And she also like pushed me because she was like, you see the cards very differently. And every time that I have a reading with you, I feel like you give me a little bit of hope or a little bit of something for me to work on. And yeah. A lot of the times when you read tarot, some folks get a little bit nervous because some of it feels negative. But in the way that I've learned of indigenous teachings, there's never really a negative. Even when we talk about death, like some folks are so nervous about getting the death card, but death is such an essential part of our existence and we've learned to be afraid of it. And so I did it for 78 days. I drew every single day a different card. And for a long time, I didn't even know how the heck I would. I didn't know what to do with it after that. I was like, okay, now the the drawings are done. So what now? (laughs) (laughs) And I was also doing the writing. So I wrote about 100 something pages of writing in relation to the cards. And I was just like, okay, now what? And I put it out there to the community. And the community has been lifting that work. I don't make tons of money off of it. It's mm-hmm. actually like, it kind of like feeds back into itself or it feeds into the ability for other works to grow, but that's not like a a main source of income. And so folks, if they find the cards and they find it, if they're related to me on, on Instagram, then they're related with me on Instagram and they can see it, but I'm not, I don't have it in stores and I don't have it in a shop or anything like that. It's just like if you are in relation to me, then you're likely in relation to the cards in some way. And so the cards have, there are now over 500 decks that are across the globe in places like Singapore and France and Australia and in the Philippines. I have a couple of teachers in the Philippines who are healers who use the cards. And it's a really beautiful thing. It was scary at first to put it out there in the world because it's a tangible thing that holds a lot of my beliefs. And I was I was afraid for a lot of different reasons. But now that it's kind of been out there, it's just been a really beautiful, again, like way to con- connect to community, a way to build in solidarity. And it's such a blessing for that alignment with a lot of folks. So So that's what you've been seeing being posted because we're actually doing another pre-order of the cards. In order for them to get printed, I need to get a couple of orders in prior and be able to have the capital foundation to be able to order them at all. And so right now we're doing that until October. But, you know, unless people are on Instagram with me or hear this podcast right now, (laughs) they don't really know what it is. You know? Yeah. You can't no, find I it on Amazon. Like, <laughs> I have my post notifications turned on for your page because I love this content that you post and it really I can spend hours on your page reading about all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I want some cards but I don't obviously know how to use them or what to do with them. But that's really great. And I love that you're also keeping it really close to you and how you say like they're really only accessible to people that are in relation to you or your Instagram page. I think that keeps it really, really special. I'm sure that it won't stay that way forever because I think that they'll become really popular over time. But yeah, I, I love yeah. the content. Like a lot of folks in our community and the Filipino community say that the deck is their first deck. Mm. And it's not because folks are learning how to read tarot, but like 
they're guidance cards. They're they're just kind of regrounding cards. So like I tell folks exactly. when they first receive them to just like pull one card a day mm. and just you know, and I do have writing that's attached to each card. However, I also try to direct folks with all of the images and the symbols that are there are really connected and aligned to the beliefs and, and connected to our pre-colonial ancestors in many ways and also connected to just our ancestors and then also our future generations. And I want to just commend you for your courage to to put your spirituality out there because I think if there's anything that gets scrutinized first, it's spirituality in any form of it, any type of religion, any type of culture. And so for you to do that and to really put your heart out there and your spirit out there, like through these cards, it's it's a big deal. And I just wanted to acknowledge that and applaud you for that. And clearly there are people who are fascinated by it and want to, you know, get your cards and everything. So, um, so yeah, I just wanted to, um, point that out. So with that said, I do want to shift gears and just discuss one final question. So the purpose of this project is to collect life lessons and stories told by people who identify as Filipino American women. The goal is to collect our first 365 stories so that we can publish a book that has all of those stories and life lessons that we can eventually Mm -hmm. go on a tour for. Like one of my big visions is to uh, go on a tour for like the college campuses that are dense with Filipinos and uh, Mm -hmm. really just share this to them. And so that's like the big goal for this project. So with that said, when I had asked you what life lesson you wanted to share today, um, you said that your life lesson is your life is sacred. It is prayer. It is ritual. It is ceremony. Honor it. Uh, I'd love to uh, hear you elaborate more on that. And what, what aspect of your life, maybe a milestone or really just your entire life, like what led you to that life lesson that you wanted to share with us today? I'm getting a little emotional. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm feeling the emotion of reflecting on that. It's really beautiful. <laughs> Take your time. Yeah. I started out on my work of remembering myself through activism. And that was where it really began when I was in college. And continuing in that path of remembering myself and remembering my family and remembering the Philippines um, and remembering, you know, the motherland in that way. And then in that way, seeing myself remember the sacredness, as I say here, in others allowed me to really honor my life uh, in a better way than I was taught to when I was mm-hmm. younger, you know, by the existence that we live in. And I, yeah, I just, when I reflect on what has allowed me to feel this about my existence and for me to be very in awareness of the way that I'm relating to folks. Uh, I just feel like I've been so blessed to have so many teachers who have invested in my existence in a good way. And the spiritual walk is the largest part of all of this, you know. Mm-hmm. It's when I began to remember the indigenous. That is something that I feel is extremely important for all of us to really be in understanding of and be in relation to is that Indigenous peoples are our greatest teachers in this time because they are the ones that have been able to continuously be in relation to our greatest ancestors 
which is the earth itself. And when I was able to, in my, and this really been the past 10 years that I've been living on Lenape territory, that uh, the pathways have opened up for me to arrive to many teachers from indigenous walks of life and those other teachers who have been uh, my peers in remembering our own sense of decolonization and indigeneity in some sense, you know, being stripped from our motherland mm. for whatever reason it may be and being dis dispersed into the diaspora in the way that we have. And I feel that is why I believe in that, you know, it's not just a lesson, it's a truth for me, for all of us that we have to honor our existence in our life. And in order to do that, we have to honor each other. And even more so, we have to honor the earth. And that's the learning that came from the indigenous peoples. And it's really important for us to understand that so many folks who are protectors of the land in that way, like many of our indigenous peoples are being killed because they're a huge threat to the colonial way and the colonial mm. mindset. And I feel like the activism in my life really set me up for that, just kind of awakening that warriorship within myself that like something's not right, that things, the way that we're relating to each other is not right. There's, there's something not good about this. There's something that is drawing me further from my liberation, the way that we are treating each other, the divisiveness, the jealousy, the ego, the the feelings of competition, the wants to be in celebrity, the ideas that only certain people get to be the representation of many, the silencing of voices, the killing of people, all of these these different configurations of why I was being enraged. Um, mm -hmm. I was holding inside of myself this rage. And when I arrived to and I, be, I continue to arrive to communities and be in relation and community with them and connection, continuous connection with them, which is, I think is also really important is for us to think about how our relationships are like fleeting a lot in a colonial world and how in an indigenous way we, we understand that we're always in relation, that it's never disconnected. And so mm. we need to take care of that more. All of these things are the reason why I believe that. What I, when you asked me, I felt like I, I typed up a couple of things before I sat down and I was just like, no, actually this is what it is. And the, the ceremony of life is very real. Whenever I do spiritual work in the diaspora and I invite folks into a circle of ceremony or ritual, I always try to remind them that this is not the, the real ceremony. This is a gathering for us to be in a particular space together in relation to the ceremonies of our lives, that we walk into this space of circle and connection to each other, but our entire lives built off of the practices and the rituals that we are shaping our existence with. And many people's rituals and their practices are damaging toward them are what caused a lot of the trauma and pain and we haven't been able to step outside of that so i feel the more that we really honor our our lives as being sacred 
then we begin to also do that to the rest of this life and existence because those things aren't separate from each other. We start to realize how not separate we are. Like when you think, and I keep on thinking about the Amazon because that's like such a, and that's making me super emotional because mm-hmm. it's scary. Like it's it really is. scary because a lot of folks don't even understand that so much of what we breathe comes from those forests and come from those trees. And mm-hmm. so it's just such a huge example of what I'm trying to communicate right now in this exchange with you all is that we are not separate from each other. We're extremely connected. And the more that we pretend that we we are allotted more or we're deserving of more or uh, believe that we have the most authority or power to say who deserves what um, in this existence in order for them to survive. Like the more that we are confronted with the earth really screaming at us, you know, like mother earth is like totally scolding the fuck out of us. Like and being like, yeah, you know, how dare Wake you treat up. your brother that way? How dare you treat your sister that way? And and not just in terms of human form, but also in like the animals and the trees. Like how dare you treat your ancestor that way? And so when I say that as a lesson, it's in relation to this like huge, huge belief, this truth that so many of us are disconnected from and that really like, breaks my heart mm. in so many ways. But also it threatens my life, you know, yeah. it threatens the hope even inside of myself. You know, I want to have children, but there are many times when me and my partner in relation to talking about our children, we're like, do we really want to bring our children into into this world? Like, will, will they even be able to live full lives? Will they even be able to exist? Like the 30 years, that, the 32 years that we have lived? Um, but will they even be able to live with or live in relation to if the trees are gone, if the waters are polluted, you know? So, and then these are the moments when I'm just like, wake the fuck up, people, you know? <laughs> and then I'm like, am I being in my ego by saying that? Am I being unrealistic? Like, are these radical thoughts, like, really, truly that radical? Yeah, y'all. I'm like so emotional right now. I don't know. I think I might be coming to my cycle. (laughs) (laughs) It's totally fine. It's totally fine. I feel like I could listen to you speak about this forever. (laughs) (laughs) My heart. Yeah. I'm so I'm so thankful to you all for for doing what you're doing and for connecting all of us in the ways that you are this is the important work that we need to be doing with each other is to create these relations and to be in this ritual together you all are creating a ritual 365 rituals that you're going to really allow yourself to be able to bear witness to uh others in this existence that are walking in solidarity with me. So thank you for doing that for yourself, for your healing and your uh, ability to rise and also for theirs, those 365 that you are going to be, you know, who are going to have the honor of being able to relate in that way. And then for everyone else. So I just, um, I mean that so deeply from the bottom of my heart. Like, thank you so much for inviting me to speak with you all in this way. 
and for allowing me to like flood like I am right now. <laughs> like I'm flooding. I'm gonna leave this room and my partner's gonna be like, How was the podcast? <laughs> Well, no, I mean, thank you, JL, for sharing and just for being so knowledgeable and passionate and and for sharing all of that with us and all of our listeners. And I hope that if this resonates with anybody, that you reach out to us, however, Jen lets you know to do so (laughs) in the show notes. (laughs) But I want to really keep this conversation going with whoever it resonates with, because I think it's important it's important things to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and really, I, I hope that we can be, we're now truly in awareness of our relation to each other, the three of us. And so I hope that we can extend that to a, a moment of, or moments of presence, like physical presence with each other. So I want to make that intention because there's something yeah, really maybe it'll be a good opportunity <laughs> for Jen to come out um, and yeah. visit the bay for the first time too. I know. Never been. I know. It's ha- it's happening, everyone, listeners. It's happening. I'm, I'm going to the yeah. Bay Area. <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah. yeah. So if you're listening and you want me to go to the Bay Area, because most of our listeners are from there anyway, like let it, let okay. me know. Let me know. And, and just share some recommendations with Nani as well. Uh, so, because she's going to be my, my, uh, tour guide, (laughs) it's going to be so exciting, but also, uh, JL, I just want to thank you so much for sharing your truth. I want to really applaud you and acknowledge that you were very unapologetic about sharing your truth. And I think we need more role models such as yourself, who is willing to do that is to put themselves out there and get, if you get scrutinized, I don't know if you do, but like if you do, it doesn't matter anyway, because yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, you probably do, but it doesn't matter because it's, you're here to, you know, my, my husband always says this in in our business, like we're only here to serve who we're meant to serve. And, and I think that's what you're doing. You're speaking your truth. And that's what this project really is about is giving a space for people who identify as Filipino American women to speak their truth. And I, so far on this show, I don't think we've had one similar story yet. I mean, maybe that maybe the similar story of like not feeling good enough. Like, yes, that's, that's, you know, that's part of our, that's what we've inherited, but everyone's life is so completely different. And I think the one thing that everyone has in common on the show, other than the feeling of unworthiness is the, the feeling of wanting to come together and wanting to celebrate our differences and our brokenness and to just find healing together and, and solutions together to build a better future uh, for not just us, but our, for generations to come. So, and the only way we're going to get to all these stories is if we have more people such as yourself willing to share your story. So I want to thank you for being a part of this. It wouldn't exist if you didn't share your story. You know, we wouldn't have this episode if you didn't share. So I want to, I want to thank you as well. And, and also you too, Nani, I always want to thank you because, <laughs> you know, you're, you're doing the show with me and you always add a different perspective and it's, it's very, it's, it helps me out. And, <laughs> and I, yeah. I, it's just, it just adds, it just adds to the conversation. It really does. Uh, so oh, you're with that, very welcome. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So with that said, I know that we have been talking for some time now. Uh, JL, for anyone that has resonated with you, 
how mm-hmm. could they get a hold of you if they wanted to re- reach out to you? For as long as social media exists, um, <laughs> and we can still be on there without being um, flagged as in this existence like a terrorist or something. <laughs> I would say for folks to start with meeting me on social media. And then I usually only give my number to folks or like get that in relation once we've had like some true conversation with each other and true connection because you know, sometimes you can be over accessible for folks and you need some boundaries. Yeah. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. So, but social media is a good place to start. And if our relationships grow from there organically and genuinely, then we can continue and we can move together, you know, and we can be in presence. So. Yes, JL absolutely. Creator is my Instagram. And then my full name, Janalyn Big, is my Facebook. Those are the only two platforms that I use. I'm not a Snapchatter. I'm not a tweeter. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think it's also because I'm really connected to the visual and being able to like send people to articles and all that stuff. And I feel like the the other platforms don't really make room for that as well. So yeah. Right. <laughs> Awesome. Well, JL, I want to thank you again for taking some time to thoroughly share your story and just some historical background and perspective and philosophy and spirituality and everything. Uh, it's been <laughs> such an honor. I'm, I am I know this won't be our last conversation. I hope to see you in the Bay Area soon. Well, who knows when that'll be? I'm just putting it out yeah. there in the universe to make it happen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll have to, I have some things going on in October, but yeah, yeah, universe, just make it happen. And, <laughs> and uh, Nani, I want to thank you for co-hosting as always. Well, ladies, thank you so much. Listeners, if you want to get a hold of JL, you can check out our show notes for that. And if you want to reach out to us and if the show resonated with you and you have something to say, that will also be included in the show notes. So with that said, I want to thank everyone for listening and I look forward to seeing you all on the next episode. Take care now. See you next time. Bye, y'all. <laughs> Peace.